welcome, folks, to another edition of Desperately Saving Entertainment. I am one of your hosts, Chris Peterson. So glad you're joining us for what should be an incredible discussion between myself and my amazing co-host, Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's up, Chris? What's up, Internet? What's going on? Yes, yes. Welcome to the podcast of all things entertainment. You know what? The world might be on fire, but the world of entertainment is always on fire, Chris. Boom! Never stops. Always going. Yeah. Always going. I love it. Folks, if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the party. What we like to do on this podcast is basically bring interesting stories, things that we've noticed um, around the world of entertainment, whether it be movies, TV, books, food, whatever it may be that is basically entertaining you on a day-to-day basis and bring it to this podcast. But the kicker is I have no idea what Ben is bringing to the party. And he has no idea what I've got in my mind either. So all the conversations that you're hearing are spontaneous and genuine and nothing is pre-planned. So uh, we usually get into some pretty cool, hot takes, uh, interesting topics. We'll see where this goes. But Ben, my friend, why don't you kick us off this week? What do you got? Okay, uh, what I have to kick us off is an article about the Academy Awards revealed the list of new inclusion requirements for Best Picture eligibility. Uh, It's Mm. off of Geek tyrant um the uh articles written by joey parr and uh i think i actually sent this one to you chris so we kind of lied right there uh we normally don't send anything to each yes. other yep. um, but i sent this one to you because i kind of wanted you to take a look at it so um let me just break this down really quick for the people that are listening that haven't seen this so there's on-screen representation themes and narratives so there's a bunch of stuff that you have to do to be eligible for um the requirements to be best picture. So on this list, it's a lead or significant supporting actors. At least one of the lead or significant supporting actors is from an unrepresented racial or ethnic group, Asian, Hispanic, black, indigenous, native American, uh, middle Eastern native Hawaiian or other represented race. Uh, The general ensemble cast uh, has to at least 30% of all actors in secondary or minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups, women, racial, ethnic group, LGBTQ, um, people with cognitive or physical disabilities. Main storyline or subject matter, the theme or narrative of the film centered on an underrepresented group. Um, And then the creative and leadership department heads also. So you have to achieve uh, standard A, which is someone on the screen has to be a cast member of diversity. And then standard B is the team that's making the movie has to be from that kind of group as well so chris i want i i got my opinion on this chris what's your thoughts on this coming out and this doesn't come out till 2024 that's what the article said so what are your thoughts on this right now that's a good question um overall i think it's a good move that you know hollywood is basically saying look we have to have some sort of system put in place that really truly requires productions to be more diverse whether it's on screen or off which i think is fantastic where i might draw the line i do think this might be a little bit of an overstep by the academy to say look you you know we're not going to even you know consider you eligible for best picture unless you have these things um i i don't know how that works out because i mean let's be honest there are movies out there that uh based on whatever the story is or the timing or whatever it may be uh, might not have that or might not be able to have diversity on screen. Like I, the, the first thing I thought of was like something like Inglorious Bastards, you know, there's one black guy in the entire movie. 
uh, that's not 30%. So it's like, would that even qualify? Uh, and Tarantino notoriously has a very, very white production crew. So we'd, would we have not seen Inglorious Bastards get nominated for Best Picture if that was the case? So it, I, I do have some, some reservations there. But my thing with, with what I saw was, you know, there are already uh, writers, you know, with unions and things like that, where you have to have, um, you know, some sort of uh, interview process with minority candidates and things like that uh, in auditions and things like that. So there were already kind of policies in place. I think the problem was, is that they weren't strictly being adhered to. And I don't think they were strong enough. I think product producers and studios would ignore them um, and make side deals where it's like, okay, this, this picture is not going to be diverse, but our next one that we're doing over here is going to be really diverse. So it all kind of evens out, right? So um, the good thing is you're not going to really see that anymore. I am actually, I think it's more going to be on the behind the scenes. I think you're going to see a lot more of right. these examples behind the scenes rather than on screen. But you know what? In, in movies that, that are set in the present day, um, you know, I, I think of a movie like Tenet, you know, Christopher Nolan's Tenet that just came out, uh, where there are certain roles that it doesn't matter who the person is. They could be Asian, they could be black, they could be Latino. Um, I would like to see those roles go to someone, you know, of a, of a different color than just your standard Caucasian. Um, I think that would be great. But I do think, like I said, if there's, you know, I think of all those like those uh, best picture nominees that come from like England, like the like the King's Speech and all those right. things. It's like where where are you going to find? You know, you can't all of a sudden make King George the Seventh, you know, black. It just doesn't that doesn't happen. So um, I, I think it's going to be very very interesting to see how this this plays out. Yeah, I mean, I I, I appreciate it. I like the role, and I I think your your line about overstepping might be onto something because you don't want to force it either. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, it was the mid nineties and friends came out, which was a tremendous show, like a huge show. Not my fave. I was a Seinfeld fan, but not my fave, but you know, it's like, imagine forcing ethnicity onto that show. Mm -hmm. Like it's like season four, you know, you have Chandler, Ross, Rachel and Phoebe. And now here comes token. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and it's just like, Oh, here's this guy that we have to have on the show. And it, that's the joke on South Park token. You know, the kid is, dope. you know, he's just out there and they just needed him on the show. It's just really like, that's like really sick. Like, it's just, that's when it, it like flips the, the script the other way when you're forcing ethnicity. Like, and I thought of another best picture, you know, used in Glorious Bastards, but it just happened to be Tarantino. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine recasting some of the Manson family as mexican or something like, and you'd be like uh that's not the way it was <laughs> like like it'd just be like that's not historically accurate i mean this the whole story is filled with historical inaccuracies so maybe i don't know you could do that one but at the same time that movie with these rules would wouldn't even be up for contention then no i mean we got bruce lee and that's basically it in that movie so right um yeah no i'm, I'm with you i mean i and when you mentioned you know tokenism i mean that's that's what we that's what BIPOC to people do not want to have happen. We don't want to all of a sudden get opportunities just because of the color of our skin. You know, you know, basically what a lot of these people are asking for is just, just to be seen in the room. Like consider us on the same level. You know, even the curb uh, when you're doing interviews or auditions and things like that, and and just holding us in, to the same standard that that white people get as well. That's that's basically all it is. Uh, you know, 
like I said, you know, I'm actually about to write an article about this um, when we're talking about, you know, a lot of changes that the theater industry needs to make and things like that, where right. it's, it's, you know, we're not asking, you know, for underqualified BIPOC people to start, start getting jobs over qualified Caucasians, but we, we just want to, you know, even the curb a little bit. So, um, so we'll see where this goes. But I, like I said, I think it's a fine move. I think it's just, it's strong. I mean, it's like one of those strong ultimatums almost where it really is going to force studios to really rethink how they hire. Um, but yeah, like I got, yeah, I am afraid of that, that it's going to, do something to the creative process that just is going to backfire immensely. Right. Yeah. And I just, I think you're right. Like it, it comes from on high, like these, it comes with these producers, the studio heads, and then also the voters, uh, you know, how about have rules on the voters? Cause they're the ones that are voting these cr- terrible movies still right. to be like best picture and everything. Like there's great nominees. Like we've come a long way in like 20 years where we have some good nominees, but they don't win. <laughs> like you might have, a cool movie that, oh, here we go. But like, you know, I don't know. We've been doing this pod for a while, Chris, and still like our movies of the year, a couple of them haven't even been nominated. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was, I mean, Midsummer was an awesome movie last year and it didn't even get recognized. So it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, so there are cool movies out there that are getting nominated, getting like appreciated, but then they don't get the nominees and that's because of the voters. And, you know, I think, you know, this kind of elder class of voters just needs to go, you know, this, this standard that they're holding to this kind of, I don't, I don't want to say whitewashing, but like kind of like remembering the way things were (laughs) Mm. like, like, Oh, you know, that's not how movies are supposed to be. Steven Spielberg, they're supposed to be seen on a big screen and they should have a four week run. And it's like, no, how about no, like, how about like, I'm watching some of the best, entertainment on my small screen at home ever even during this quarantine you know what i mean finding shows and it's like like i can't believe some things are nominated some things aren't so i don't know chris it's a, a step in the right direction but i just hate to see this kind of i hate to see it overstep and then like it's like a whole backfire and then you know i don't know we might go back two steps kind of thing I don't yeah know. that was my thoughts on it yeah good stuff man yeah no we'll see where this goes absolutely so way to kick it off i love it um so for my first thing this week, Ben, uh, I know I shared a little bit of this last week, but this week I know that over, you know over the past week you had a chance to check it out, uh, Cobra Kai, on Netflix. Um, so I'm watching, I'm watching this. You, you, I, I saw your status as you've been watching it as well. Uh, first of all, I just want to get your take on the whole series. Let's start there. Okay, Chris. All right, this was also my story for this week too. Um, <laughs> Because more people are checking out. It's on Netflix. And it was a Sony Pictures show that just got picked up by YouTube. And then now it's bought out by Netflix. So I think more people are seeing it. Um, all right, Chris. You recommended this show to me. I think you watched like the first couple episodes or something. Yep. You recommended it to me. And we recommend things to each other all the time. And we're like, oh, check this out. Check this out. You didn't tell me <laughs> that <laughs> this would be. The greatest show of all time. And that is not <laughs> an exaggeration. My love for, okay, let's just break this down, okay? Chris, I don't know about your parents, but did your parents have HBO when you were a kid? Oh, yes. In Connecticut? Yep. They ran the Karate Kid every day, like all day. Like, I swear, it was on at 4 p.m. and then 8 p.m. It was like four hours. Like, you can go four hours, maybe get a, a, an Iron Eagle in there, and then boom, Karate Kid again. Or like an over-the-top, boom, Karate Kid. It was just the same 
four movies over and over and over again. And I love this movie. I forgot how much. All right. One, I love the characters. Mm-hmm. Two, I, I don't. The way that they're remaking this and reimagining this, this is not a rehashing. This is not a like, there's some fan kind of favoritism in there that are just, you know, fan appeal stuff. But for the most part, they're taking these characters a thousand percent real. What would really happen 30 years from the last movie? You know, what, mm-hmm. where did these people go? And um, did you realize that this show is written by the guys that wrote Harold and Kumar? I did not. I had to look that up and I saw that afterwards. I was like, yeah. Dude. Yeah, and, like, I think it was an interview with Ralph Macchio, and he was like, these guys are fanboys. Like, they hold the first Karate Kid, to, like, on an altar. But it still has some of that kind of chiding societal humor, like Harold and Kumar. Like, that's why that movie is kind of a little more than just, like, you know, dick and fart joke kind of movie. It's like right. there are definitely some, like, kind of society-driven jokes that are just making, like, a little dig. So, Chris... I want to I want to hear your take, but that's I'm I'm halfway through the second season right now. I'm burning through the show. It is still great. I, they haven't taken a wrong turn yet. I love the new cast. The kids in it are great. But what's your what's your thoughts on the show? Well, you know, I so I, I had only seen the episode, the free episodes. So like on yeah. YouTube when it first came out, you could actually watch the first two episodes. Uh, watched it. I was like, this is gonna be amazing like I, just from the first two episodes i was like oh my god and i hadn't spoiler alert i'll put a spoiler up there i hadn't even gotten into like the nitty-gritty of like johnny's family situation with his son and like all these other things i was like oh my god like I, and i gotta tell you like as i'm watching this i'm like the way that they're plotting out everything it's 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 perfect in terms of character development um i believe everything that ralph macchio is doing I believe everything that that yeah, uh, Billy Zapka is doing. Everything um, I believe them. Characters. I believe them. Like there's parts in this show, just like when I was a kid and I was watching the movie. Like I was like, when when you're like five and you're watching the Karate Kid, you're like, oh, Daniel Larusso, this is a real kid, and he moved out. His mom's messed up, like to move him out here from Jersey and stuff. And being like, you know, a uh, uh, East Coast kid, I'd be like, that would be crazy. Like move away from my friends, that would suck. And like I would kind of drift away that this is a movie, like. And I catch myself <laughs> as a fucking 40 year old watching this show going, oh, what's Johnny going to do now? Oh, wait, that's Billy Zabka. Like, that's not John. Like, I, I forget that this is a show. Like, that's how good the show is. I mean, and like, so I don't, I mean, you're, you're ahead of me. I'm like, I think I'm episode nine of the first season. Okay. Um, Just buckle and, up. It gets better. Like, I, I think the, la- the last episode was where, um, uh, Johnny's son like beat up those two guys at the dealership oh, yeah. when he said, oh, yeah. so oh, I'm yeah, there, yeah. but like, so I'm thinking to myself, like, Oh my God, I, I don't know where this show's going. So don't tell me if I'm right or wrong, but yep. Yep. I won't. If LaRusso starts his own dojo, who competes against Cobra Kai at the all Valley tournament. And then the final is like Miguel versus Johnny's son. Like that would be the greatest thing I've ever seen. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I mean, that's just the way in my head. I'm like, this is what this show is doing. And I got to the episode where, um, um, to, uh, uh, um, LaRusso, uh, his character puts on his like gi for the first time with the oh, headband. Yeah. I oh, lost yeah. my mind. I started, <laughs> I started pumping my fist in the air. Um, I think I got a little teary when that music hit. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm just like, I'm in heaven with this show. And I love the first movie. You're right. It was on right. HBO. That, that movie and like 
Remember that Sean Astin movie, Toy Soldiers? Where, like, of the course. Of course. I showed that all the time, too. Watch all the that. shit with Will Wheaton. Yeah, yeah, of course. I've seen that movie a million times. <laughs> that was the other one I was always on. Um, I'm watching this. And then, like, Karate Kid Part 2 is one of the first movies I saw in the theater. Same here. Um, Same here, there bro. You go. Same here. There you go. Uh, I, I'm losing my mind with this thing. And it's, it is it is one of those things, and the reason why I brought it up was it's perfectly written. The characters are great. The kids are phenomenal. I love what Lip turns into. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't even want to, I don't want to spoil it for the audience. It's, no, don't spoil that. Cause that transformation, <laughs> it, we, we've talked about De Niro gaining weight and raging bull. The transformation <laughs> of Lip to, I don't even say his name is so epic. And, and I was like, Oh my God, is that the same kid? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, and like, I hate, I hate the bullies on this show. Like I absolutely, I was like feeling like palpable hatred towards them. Just like I felt hatred towards Johnny and the crowded kid. Um, but as I'm watching this, I, I said to Nicole, I was like, it is so improbable that this came from Karate Kid, like how yeah. Karate Kid set up this amazing series. If you told me that Karate Kid, you, there's going to be a sequel Netflix TV series about what happens to these characters, I'd be like, I, I don't think it's going to be that it great. Sounds, yeah, it sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's it's just been amazing. And then it got me thinking like, is this going to become a thing now? Like we all see that these there's these revivals and these reunion shows and things like that, but we but we haven't really seen anything like Karate Kid yet, where you truly take a property from the '80s, reinvent it, rehash it, and then throw it out there, and it's this whole brand new thing. And I'm starting thinking about like, could you do something like this with the Goonies? Could you do something like this with? Um, you know, ET? Could you do this with like Stand By Me? Like, are is there an opportunity? To revive these these prop the Breakfast Club. If you said to me like, oh. we're doing an, Netflix is going to greenlight a, a Breakfast Club sequel series. Like at this point, I'm I'm kind of in on it all, yeah. right? Well, I mean, that's how this is working. Is they're treating Karate Kid like the Breakfast Club, mm. like they they are the character Johnny and Daniel are the characters from the Breakfast Club. Like you could see Brian, you know, you could see Emilio Estevez's like character growing up and owning a car dealership. Yep. You could see Brian going to work in like an engineering field and like failing out after his wife divorces him. You, I mean, you can see those things because those are real built characters where in Karate Kid 1, there's a lot of 2Dism. You know, it's it's black and white. It's just like, you know, Johnny's the evil guy. Daniel's the good kid. Let's just let's do this. You know what I mean? Mr. Miyagi versus crazy. Like the whole thing is just like awesome. It's just but. Uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris, I just. All, all I gotta say is just buckle up for the last moment of season one. That's oh. all I gotta say to you. That I that happened. I was sitting in bed with Katie watching it. I think I woke up Deacon. I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" I stood, I stood up. I stood up and screamed, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like at the top of my lungs. And it was like eleven thirty at night on like a Monday. I was like freaking out. Like Chris, just just buckle up. The show gets better. I, I can't wait to see. Um, one thing, I don't know if this happens. One thing I will say is the reason why I brought this up, Chris, and I don't know if you saw this. I want to keep talking about the show, but the reason I brought this up is Elizabeth Shue yeah. came out publicly and hinted that she might return. If that happened, I, I'm i going to jump. I'm going to rip all my clothes off and run down the street. Like I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do because they've definitely hinted at her character. Oh, they talk about her endlessly. Like, yeah, they talk about her. They show clips from the movie. 
everything. And and they're both I love how they're still pining after her, even though they're both been married or married currently. I love how they're still like, yeah, she's the one that got away. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> like, even though like Daniel has like two kids, he's successful. He's like, Yeah, Allie. Mm, you know, mm, yeah. thought that she was the one. Like in Chris, like in season two, there's like these monologues. How about the monologues, Chris? Like the writing, they it's not like 2D characters like you know, Johnny's here, Daniel's here. It's like, you know, they're going to look at each other and then they'll tease it off. Like the reason why I like this show is when Johnny and Daniel first meet, it's so awkward and uncomfortable. Mm. And the writers and the actors play with it. Like Johnny walks into the dealership. He's like, I just want to get out of here. And, and Daniel is just like this kind of, I don't know. He's trying to be nice, but he's kind of being a dick. And you're like, man, Daniel's being such a dick. And, and, it's awkward, but you can't take your eyes off of it. They're, can't. Yep. The writers aren't scared to play with that kind of tension in the air. It's it, it's a drama at the highest level. And I can't believe I'm saying this about the show. <laughs> it's just like you well, have to believe it to see it. Like, and you're you're sitting there. Like, I remember in that scene, you really feel for Johnny. Like, you feel for him. You're like, Oh, yeah. You're like, guy's... F you, Daniel. Like, yeah. And he's like, Hey, come on over. He's like, Oh, this is the guy you kicked his ass. And it's like his cousin from Jersey. And it's like, Oh my God! It's <laughs> well. See, like, like I wonder when I watched the pilot, and I, I, I said this to my wife. I said, it, it, "There has to the the balance between Daniel's story and Johnny's story is perfect." And I, I'm wondering if the initial plan was to concentrate mostly on Johnny and have Daniel be this like this overarching character that you you see every now and then. But I love I love the balance now between the two of them. I think it works perfectly. Like, yeah, every other episode, I, you know, what, I mean, you know what I said, you know what I said to Katie is, uh, Chris, you ever see the movie um, Warrior with Tom Hardy? Yes. The two, yeah. the UFC fighters, they're both brothers and stuff, and they get pitted up at the at the end. Mm-hmm. And that movie's like it's a great. I think there's it's a pretty slow movie, slow burner, great flick. Um, but at the end fight, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, but at the end fight, you don't know who you're rooting for. You're kind of rooting for both of them. You know, you got yeah. the teacher, you got this guy that's just kind of like a brawler that's like a bouncer at strip clubs, but they both kind of have a heart, they have a shitty dad, and then they get pitted against against each other. And at the end of the movie, it doesn't matter who wins. Like, and this show, I don't know if they took a page from that or what, because this show is building us to the ultimate showdown. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Rocky and Apollo Creed, I don't even give a shit. Like, at this point. If these guys go at it, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like, <laughs> I'm going to – if they just said Billy Zabka and freaking um, Ralph Macchio are fighting at UFC 300, I'm, I'm ordering it tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I'm in. Like, I'm totally in. I'm going to buy it for, like, $160. You can come on over. <laughs> We're going to have a party. Like, even if it's totally staged. <laughs> yeah. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, the acting between these two guys – I mean, these two guys – Let's be honest. Have not done no. much, if anything at all, since Karate Kid. And but I gotta tell you, like I am so impressed with their performers. Like I love that ep- the episode that ends where Daniel first sees the Cobra Kai, and it looks like he has he starts shaking in his car because he got it's the and and obviously Bill, the stuff that Billy's out on is just fantastic. It's just it's amazing to see. These two guys, I got to be honest, like as soon as I'm done with season two, 
I have not gone back and watched the Karate Kid again, but I got I want to go back and watch the Karate Kid just to see if it changes my whole perspective on that watching that movie. I can't wait to do that. I also love the fact that they have really have barely mentioned Karate Kid Part Three except for the bonsai trees, which I'm yep. wondering if is that a dig at Karate Kid Part Three of the most preposterous things? Well, part, that was. That movie. I mean, well, all right. So, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, it's been a minute since I've seen Karate Kid Part Three. Um, it's preposterous. Yeah. All right. They got they got to climb the hill. Is it Hillary Swank? They got to climb the hill and plant the oh, bonsai no. trees on top. That's that's the next Karate Kid. Oh, that's um, four. That's four. Three, oh, three is where they ba- it basically begins with them getting off the plane, coming back from Okinawa, um, and John Kreese, um is like back uh, as as kind of like the he's trying to get the Cobra Kai studio back up and running because apparently his loss at the tournament like destroyed his dojo, right? And, like he has nothing, and he basically recruits one of his former students who's now this like ridiculously nefarious rich guy wait wait the guy with the ponytail right yes yes okay i remember that guy yeah and so but like you know how in each movie there's a lesson whether it's wax on wax off in part two it's the drum in part three it's the bonsai trees where daniel learns how it's all about like planting your roots and planning your future and shaping who the person that you want to be it's preposterous it really is ridiculous (laughs) um and at, at this like confrontation between Daniel and basically this rich guy's like protege that he's basically, you know, he it's basically Rocky Five. So it's like you think like Tommy Morrison. Tommy right. Morrison is like this kid um who who bullies Daniel and throws Mr. Miyagi's treasured bonsai thing off a cliff, except it lands on a ledge. Oh, and it's this right. really climactic uh, sequence. Oh yeah. Can't oh, believe okay. I'm talking about Karate Kid Part Three this long. I know. I know. I can't believe this show is this good. That's getting us into <laughs> talking about these terrible movies. Uh, so anyway, um, anyway, oh, but yeah, let's talk about ahead. let's talk about acting. All right, so writing is off the chain, and yep. just the pace of the show is great. Amazing. I just love the interplay of the kids and those two. You know what I mean? If if either of those parts falls, you know what I mean? If the if the adult thing gets weak or the kid story gets weak, it's it's done. And both stories, I'm interested in everyone in the show. Mm-hmm. Like hands down, even in, I'm going into maybe episode five of the second season. I'm still all in on everyone in the show. That's and that's crazy because there's no good or bad guys. I'm I'm into every character. <laughs> like yeah. And can I say this? Like Ralph Macchio really hasn't done a lot. I think she, he was on the show Evil Betty for a while. Oh okay. Or something, and that was like a one of his come. Like oh, I watched the GQ. You know they have those videos where they go through someone's career and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so he went through the outsiders and did all that. And then, you know, really the last big thing he did was my cousin Vinny, which I just rewatched. Right. Which is still, right, right, right. still great, which is still a very extremely funny movie. Um, this, <laughs> so I, and, and that was kind of it. Like he was kind of dried up at that point, but you know, I think he went on to, you know, have a family and stuff and yeah. a lot of, action too. and he was, he'd been working. I mean, at that point he was 30 something. I mean, and Karate Kid, I think he's 22, playing a 15-year-old or something outrageous. or I don't know. Um, so, anyway, can I say this, though? Billy Zabka, William Zabka, acting his ass off. Oh, yeah. And can I say, can I say this? I, I don't think it's going too crazy. Is I've missed him as an actor, as the heel. He is a tremendous heel. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. is like... He is the Iron Sheik. He is, 
he is Ric Flair. <laughs> like, he is a heel. He is He's like on the Mount Rushmore of 80s yeah. bad guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And But his acting chops in this, they give him monologues to talk about. He's tearing up in season. Wait till season two. He starts going for it. And you're like, I want more. Like, this guy is a great actor. And I think... You know, he definitely got typecast into uh, definitely into the heel because in just one of the guys and back to school. I mean, he is the heel of all heels in those movies. And in this show, I feel for his character so much, even at the jump, when the show starts, you're just all in and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's decimated. And they just do a great work. And I think it I think it, it goes back to the writing because the writing the writers do care about these characters they don't want to disrespect the source material and they're kind of adding to it in a way that is like treating it like the Godfather. It's like, it's like De Niro playing Don Corleone. It, it's, it's crazy how much they're taking this stuff serious and it's great show. Chris, just super thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. No, and I can't wait. I mean, if Elizabeth shoe comes in season three, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I'm, I'm going to lose my, I'm going to lose my shit. Like literally at the end of the first season, I, I jumped up and started screaming through my house like a crazy person. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. All right. Well, what else you got this week? I know that, I know we All both right. had Cobra Kai, but go ahead. Well, I'll use I'll use my number two. I'll use the one that I was going to use. So okay. um, uh, my uh, number two is David Byrne's America Utopia is coming to HBO. Mm-hmm. So this was an album that came out a couple years ago. I saw him on tour um, a couple years ago. Saw the kind of beginnings of the show which is the album with a couple talking head songs and an amazing production. So within this production, you have um, all the instruments played by over, I'm going to say close to 20 something people on the stage, background singers. They're all dressed up in gray suits, no shoes, and they're all dancing in sync choreo- like choreographed dance. It's amazing. David Byrne's voice is I'm going to say better than it was when he was younger. Like, I mean, mm. the, the notes he hits at the end of the show were so crazy. I think I've talked on the podcast. I spoke on the podcast about this, like how, I mean, he, they played like uh, burning down the house at the end of the show as like an encore. And when I saw him 15 years ago, he didn't play that song. Cause it's a high pitched song. And he hit that at the end of the show after playing, like after seeing like crazy operatic music, the guy has to be 70 something and is just stamina is out of control. It's coming to HBO uh, September 10th. And Uprock said this article that said, yes, every American should be forced to watch David Byrne's American Utopia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not only a show. So what I saw was just the music. And I think it's kind of in development at that point, two years ago, I think he was probably developing what would be what we're going to see. And it is a, there's a lot of social commentary in there mm-hmm. and there, this production or this, what are film production of this is actually directed by Spike Lee. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And what is crazy uh, that they reveal during this, that um, what's really striking is burn stopped performing in February of this year. So it's impossible to watch without thinking. Um, so sorry, I'm reading the article. I love So, before the show starts, David Byrne comes out and he does a kind of monologue song about all the black people that have been killed by police. Mm. And this show st- stopped before February. Right. Meaning 
he did this before George Floyd and all the others that we've lost, like at the hands of policemen and Black Lives Matter and everything, which is shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not that shocking because David Byrne's always been kind of an activist and kind of had his like pulse on a lot of things that are current and just not scared to use his voice for giant uh, kind of political speeches and and stuff like going through his whole career. But it's pretty wild. Like it, it kind of reminded me of, you know, when I, uh, oh my God, I was watching the, the comedy. Who's the, um, the Eric Andre. He had the kind of oh, commentary yeah. up front too about police brutality. And it was like, oh my God, this was recorded in December. So, you know, what is going on today with all the protests, even up near me in Rochester, I think has been on the surface, just bubbling, just ready for something to happen. And of course, being quarantined in our houses doesn't help either. And so I, I can't wait to see this production of, you know, this this concert that I saw a couple of years ago, which is great, directed by Spike Lee. And to me, David Byrne, you know, stop making sense, talking heads still is pretty close to the gold standard of what a concert movie should be. Mm-hmm. Um, the last waltz by the band is a great one too. And just how things are filmed and how music is filmed. It's really hard to kind of top those. So Chris, are you excited for this? Are you going to check it out? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, this had all the buzz when it was running in New York and uh, didn't get the chance to see it. So I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's your, your, you're spot on with with David Byrne's vocal stylings uh, and his ability. Uh, I think because he always had like an older sounding voice anyway. So I yeah. felt like maybe like now or, you know, maybe for the past 10, 15 years, it's really kind of developing into basically what it always should have sounded like. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's it's I always tell the story like when I talk to parents because I work for an art school and they ask me like, you know, what what, you know, what good is going to come from my kids, you know, <laughs> going to an art school? I said, well, you know, just so you know, the band Talking Heads was formed yeah. at, you know, the Rhode Island School of Design. Like this, it wasn't like they were Berkeley music kids or hanging out at, you know, CBGBs in New York. No, they went to, they were artists at an art school that said, hey, let's, uh, let's put a band together. And it turned into one of the most interesting exploratory bands, you know, of all time, basically. So, um, yeah, no, I, I can't wait to see this. I mean, this is a guy that's always been a, had the thumb on on every social issue that that should be talked about. Uh, also, very just a cool guy in general. Very nice, I, I hear. Uh, he was in this. I don't know. Did you get to see John Mulaney's uh, Lunch Pack Kids? That that like parody of a children's special that he did for Netflix. No, I didn't see that. Oh, okay. Definitely get a chance to watch that because first okay. of all, it's, it's hilarious. It's basically him kind of spoofing Sesame Street and Electric Company and all those like children's shows. But David Byrne is on it, and he does this whole song with kids and things like that. And a friend of mine is in it. Uh, she plays, like, the mom of one of the kids in the sketch. And she just, like, raved about David Byrne as a person. Like, he's just very cool and, you know, nice, and, you know, talking to the kids and things like that. So um, that kind of upped my respect level for the man. So, yeah, I can't – I cannot wait to see this. I think it looks great. Oh, also, in David Byrne news <laughs> – I have a ton of David Byrne news this week um, – Chris, you ever heard of the app Mixcloud? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Okay. It's kind of like for DJ sets. So, right. like, it's not, like, really for, you know, single tracks. Um, I was on there just looking at, like, kind of, like, sometimes in the background I put on, like, electronic music or something like that, um, whether it be drum and bass or John, John Digweed's on there, which is one of my favorite DJs, like, when I was back in college, like, uh, doing techno. But 
David Byrne has his own channel, David Byrne Radio, mm-hmm. and he puts out a mix every week. And it's a or it's a monthly radio show. So every month he puts it out. He has like uh, hip hop sets, and then he has David Byrne presents themes. So it's like TV themes. Then there's glitch music, crazy glitchy cool. It's exploring all different kinds of world music. Really cool. If you're into music and you want to check out something new, which I'm always looking for something new to put on my Spotify because sometimes it gets stale. Uh, check that out, and he'll put the track list underneath too, so you can check out what tracks are on there. So I don't know, lots of David Byrne news, uh, news this week. Love it, love it. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right. So for my number two uh, this week, I have some interesting news that broke actually today, being September 10th. Um, so it was announced today in the New York Times that the longtime chief theater critic, uh, Ben Brantley, is stepping down. He's resigning. Uh, so he'll, his last day is on uh, October 15th. He is now uh, the longest theater critic since uh, Brooks Atkinson, who was wow. a really famous critic back in the day. Right. Um, so much so they named a theater after him. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that for Ben Ranley, but um, <laughs> he's held the position for about 23 years. Very polarizing critic. And I think, you know, even by for critic standards, I mean, these, these people are not necessarily beloved in a lot of circles. Um, he was very polarizing because um, he outwardly uh, basically admitted he relished his role as the New York Times theater critic. He understood the power of a New York Times review, what it could do for a career, what it could, you know, how it could make or break people, make or break a show and things like that. And he loved wielding that sword and uh, took very much, took glee in tearing people down, but also on the, on the flip side, took glee in, in building people up. So, you know, it was interesting when, when the news was announced, you saw a whole wave of reaction that really was split down the line where people were like, you know what, he was one of the best critics out there to people saying, good riddance, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Um, my personal take on him is, you know, he is polarizing. He is a phenomenal writer. Uh, he's a he's a guy that somehow became a theater critic for the New York Times without ever having had been in the theater. Like he's never been in a show even in school. Like he he mm. missed that. Um, and I was like, are, are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah, even um, Roger Ebert wrote a screenplay. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I was, I was just like, oh, okay, like that that's interesting. Um, so he was just uh, every all of his critiques just simply came from the viewer perspective, as if he was a casual Broadway attendee. So um, again, he's he's going to be uh, looked at in different circles. But again, he's a critic, and it's a very very rare that you see this much of a reaction to that news. Where it's like you know, then when it comes to critics, I'll be honest with you, we, there's probably a handful of them that I know by name that I'm like, Oh my God, I know those people. I, I know what they're like. Right. So he's, and he's one of them. So, uh, but I do think he's the end of an era of, of critics being able to write reviews without fear of, of gosh, am I, am I, if I, if I say, a, if I give this performer a bad review, is it bullying? Am I stepping over the line? Can I literally say that they're terrible in the show without getting like, you know, uh, social justice people, you know, rising up against me and things like that, which you're now seeing with a lot of critics and reviewing. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where this industry of of theater critique or, or critique in general, uh, where it goes in the next century, because I do think that 
the, that line is breaking down. Ben, what, I just want to get your thoughts on that. What do you think about, I guess, critic art, criticism for any of these genres, movies, you know, theater, art, whatever, food, music? What, what is your state on that right now? You know, it's all right. Listen, <laughs> I'm sitting here on a podcast with you as like a critical a-hole about everything <laughs> but um when i read all right i have a standard for like when i read reviews i do subscribe still to rogerebert.com i do love the writers that are on there um I, when i this is what i hate you want to hear what i hate about when i read Please. like a critique about a movie or a show or anything like that is i hate when i know that you have to give the synopsis of the show right i know that you have to give like a little bit of it I hate when a review just, you know, starts with a little blurb. It'll say like, this show could have been amazing, but it doesn't really pan out in the end. And then it'll state the main character's like name. It'll state where they are living. Then it'll state what the problem is and what their journey is. And then it'll break down like the first act, second act, third act. And then the whole review is just a plot synopsis. I hate that so much because this is what I do. I'll read your first paragraph, skip all that. Cause I want to kind of see this movie. That's why I'm reading your review. And then I'll go back to the end paragraph, which usually set surmises something. And that's what I'm there for. I'm not there for the, you know, synopsis because what's the point? Like maybe I'll read that after I'll watch the movie, but even then, why am I reading a synopsis of something I've already, I hate that so much, Chris. I love critics that like actually have an opinion about something. So you know what? I, I don't know. I, I kind of like it when someone is opinionated and is not scared to say something about it and not just give me a plot synopsis of the movie that they're critiquing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll see. I mean, you know, with with the print industry obviously dying and le- there being less publications, um, I, I do think, you know, we've kind of seen the last of these these big critic hirings and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see where this industry goes. But uh, here's, I'm you know, crossing my fingers that the New York Times breaks with their tradition of hiring um, really just white white men in this position yeah, and really look that. to being inclusive with their next pick. So, um, like Chris, are you available? Is that what you're saying? Well, so uh, you know, I don't <laughs> want to go there, but you know, I was just saying, if you do, you really want to do you want to replace a polarizing figure with another polarizing figure? Yeah, a- who's Asian American? Exactly. I cover I cover all the bases, New York Times. <laughs> Although I did what tell their, it? I did tell the theater editor there to f off. So I don't know if, <laughs> if I'm going to be uh, in good graces, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know that happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, man. What else you got? All right, for the grand finale this week. You ready? Yes. <clears throat> Comicbook.com. Tiger King series with Nick Cage as Joe Exotic in development at Amazon. So this is the second Tiger King series. The first one uh, kind of being a parody with uh, what's-her-face Kate. Uh, was it Kate McKinnon? Yeah, Kate McKinnon oh, yeah. is Carol Baskin. Yep. Um, this is a different one. That's an NBC-driven one. This one is off one of the streaming services. Could be a little dangerous. <laughs> Just mm. like Joe Exotic and Nick Cage. Boom, could kick other. Coming off your internets. Uh yeah, and so let's see if there's anything. All right, so if you somehow are the rare Nick Cage fans that hadn't seen the Netflix series, here's the Tire King synopsis. Oh, it's just the actual synopsis of the Tire King. So, Chris, are you excited for this like I am? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. 
uh, you know, it's it's one of those like this is if 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 I ever needed a distraction from the world, um, <laughs> getting into the Tiger King, you know, multi universe if it will if it were, I, I'm all for it. I mean, Carol Baskin's gonna be on Dancing with the Stars this year, so I mean, like, count me in. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, you know, when you when you combine Joe Exotic with Nicolas Cage, it just feels perfect. I mean, people were. I remember when I was watching, you know, Tiger King for the first time, and everybody was talking about like, who is who is inevitably going to be playing like, you know, Joe Exotic in the Joe Exotic biopic, and everybody was saying like Matthew McConaughey and all these other people. I'm like, no, Nicholas Cage no, it just makes Nick sense. Cage. Nick like, Cage, you need someone that. <laughs> listen, I mean, I know Nick Cage is an actor. I know he's from the Hollywood. He's Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. I know these things, right? Mm-hmm. Been in a ton of movies. He's acted with Cher on the screen. He's won Oscars, but he still might be a crazy person that might go crazy at any second. Right. And you need someone like that playing Joe Exotic, just like, all right, I'm working in this zoo. I know it's a zoo. We got cages here. We got weapons to protect us from the tigers. But Joe Exotic might go crazy at any second. Just let one of them out. I love it. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I don't even care if he tries to do like an, a Joe Exotic impression, like. No, no need to get no no don't go nope. for accuracy just nope. capture the essence and go i think um, he needs to do lots of drugs <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a twist of the arm so you know it's like, get into it ah uh, i love it i can't could you see and, him could you see him getting like a tattoo to oh, totally. like fit the part and stuff just really just really go for it and then i want to see i want to see like the hearts of darkness documentary that like captures the filming of this series like give me that like give me like what they did for apocalypse now give me that for for this series because i just want to see uh the process because i can't, i just can't wait so i, I um, think this should be a 15 part movie mm-hmm. or a 15 part show or a 15 hour movie I love i'm it. gonna go see all 15 hours in the theaters just a marathon and you know speaking of apocalypse now i think it should start just like apocalypse now starts like mm-hmm. you got Nick Cage as Joe Exotic, you know, the hair, and he's sitting it, he wakes up and he's like, he punches the mirror <laughs> and he's screaming and stuff, and now there's blood everywhere. I think they should just recreate that scene with Joe Exotic. And then I'm, there's like a copter flying over for some reason. I don't know. I'm in. <laughs> this is the end starts playing by the doors. I'm all in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I oh God, I can't wait. I can't wait. Good stuff, man. Good yeah. stuff. Real quick, for my final one before we get into YouTube, and I just want to throw this out there, a question to you. Um, so there's a brand new show called Woke. It's on it's on FX, it's on Hulu, excuse me. Um, and it stars one of the people from uh, New Girl. It's a very interesting, interesting show. Um, but I got to be honest. So they had the season premiere on Hulu. I watched it, and I, I got to be honest, I wasn't into it. I was just kind of oh, like... I saw the trailer for that, actually. Yeah, and I just was like, eh. Like I, I, I see where they're going for it. It's, it's definitely not your standard comedy. Um, definitely very, very deals with a lot of race issues and things like that. But, um, yeah, I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. And but at the same time, I feel like if I, I have to watch more of it, like I have to watch season, you oh. know, episode two, three, and four just to see if it, if it gets better. Ben, let me ask you something. Do you, do you normally like give up on a show after one episode? Do you usually do that, or do you give it like two, three, four episodes, or even a full season? 
to decide. Full season, full season's tough. I'll give it two yeah. or three. It depends on who. It depends on who's in it, who's writing. You know what I mean? Who's in mm-hmm. it, who's writing? Really, like, like uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the um, uh, what do you call it? Lovecraft Country? You know what I mean? And we right. know that J.J. Abrams and uh, Jordan Peele, like, we're like, all right, we're gonna stick with the show. They're gonna take us somewhere cool. You know, at least at the end of the season, there'll be a cool ride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And but here's my question for you, Chris. Okay, you ready for this? I'm Please. glad you brought this up because I was kind of like, I couldn't figure out how to get into this topic with you. Okay, so I know that productions shut down around the globe, you know, around March. And we were hitting the end of content because our show Billions just stopped mid-season, which totally sucked. Because they kind of mm. filmed that like as it goes and New York City, boom, you're shut down. And then we started getting to the end of everything. So the Joe Exotic thing came out. And then a couple other like seasons came out of TV, maybe a couple movies like the, um, uh, my God, the, uh, who's the kid from, uh, SNL, the King of Staten Island movie came out. Oh, yep. Yep. Um, Yep. Yep. Uh, which was on the docket already that was slated to come out. It came out now when movies are coming out now, like tenant was supposed to come out. Bill and Ted's three was supposed to come out. Those were in post-production while we were in quarantine. So, I get it. Like those were already like the previews were already out. The release was on the docket. Boom, boom, boom. Released, you know, just to VOD, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Now, here's my question to you and why I bring this up. Do you think we're getting shows that sat on the shelves for a couple of years because they were okay? And in normal times while productions are running, they wouldn't stand a chance against like heavy hitter shows. That's actually not a bad theory, uh, and I believe it. Um, like, I'm not saying that about yeah. this show, but, like, Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Have you kept up on that show? No. All right, well, I'm on episode four, I think I watched. And you remember how, like, after the first episode, we were talking about From Dust Till Dawn. Yep. We were talking about that, how I'm scared this show's going to run into that, where it's like, they have the social commentary kind of like awesome ethnic cast rocking at you. And then you have, you know, crazy dog vampires attacking the evil dead cabin. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm in love <laughs> because rock and I'm me. I have a Bruce Campbell poster right here. I'm good to go, but I'm not sure if the rest of the world is ready for this. Like I know everyone loves comic book movies and shit, but are they ready really to, you know, embrace this kind of nerdiness? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm kind of suspect. Did that show sit on the shelf for a while too? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I do know that like, um, what is it? Uh, on Disney plus, there's a movie that came out called magic camp. Um, hmm. and it's like, it's got like Adam Levine or is that his name? Adam oh. Levine from, um, all the pitch perfect movies. Rune five. No, not no. It must be a different. Oh, like, I know the, the workaholics kid. Yeah, workaholics guy. Yeah. Uh, and then they've got um, Brit, the girl that plays uh, Britta on Community, and uh, Jeffrey Tambor is in it. I know that that movie was filmed like in 2018, so Disney right. like sat on this thing for literally like two years before they even released it. Um, so maybe, maybe that's we're starting to get material that has been shelved you know, for various reasons. And it just literally because we just need content right now until Hollywood gets back up and run again. So I, right. I believe that. Yeah. So like 
are we going to get the best picture nominee of Delta Force 3 or something like that? <laughs> like, like, it went to VHS in 1987. No one saw it, but now we're releasing Chuck Norris's lost film. And then, boom, it's the best picture. I mean, it, it could happen because, I mean, literally, Tenet, it's going to be Tenet versus Bill and Ted's, you know, Bill right. and Ted 3. So uh, that, you know, that's I, it. Yeah, I, I can't see another movie. Or King of Staten Island. I mean... Those were the movies that were slated to come out that just happened to film right at the end, and here we are. Those are ones that I can kind of tell you that were in the can, the previews were out, and then we went into lockdown. You know what I mean? Right, the right. rest of them, I'm kind of getting on the suspect train. Like, what what's going on with this show? It's okay. It's pretty good. I don't know if I would release it to HBO, but, you know, maybe this would be like a you know, after The Sopranos, tune in for, <laughs> like, right. I don't know if this would be your front runner, you know, post, Lord, you know, uh, freaking Game of Thrones front, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, Chris, I, I, as, a, as a critiquer on this podcast, I'm going to keep my eye out. I feel like, Chris, we got to come up with a term for this. Like, like, we got to label, when we come across a show, and it's like pretty good to start. You're like, oh, it's a cool premise. And then like fifth episode, you're like, oh, it's jumping the shark. When was this made? And then you Google it and it's like it was two years ago. Uh oh, this was on the shelf for a while, like a mm. shelf sitter or something oh, like yeah. that. We got we got to label them something. A dust collector. <laughs> a dust <laughs> collector. They blew off the dust on this one. <laughs> it's like the extended cut of Ishtar or something like that oh, for best pictures. So God. Or. Have you seen the the news about Rocky Four getting a director's cut? Right, it's like, that's not going to help. Like it, right. no, no need to. And first of all, why why are you going to re-edit Rocky Four? It's a perfect. Right, why are you going <laughs> to mess with perfection? That's what you're going to say, right? Like unless you're just trying to take out Polly's robot. Like I don't. Like why are you doing any of this? The sex robot. Oh, just leave it alone. It's fine. Fine. Oh my gosh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, let's yeah. do it. Let's go YouTube, my friend. Yeah, baby. What do you got this week? All right, I got a couple. Let's. Hello, internet. Do 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 do. Whoa, uh, Chris. Oh, right, never mind. I got it. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Um, you know, what actually, I got this week is I got a couple um great little concerts on here that are on YouTube. But you know, what I'm gonna go with. I don't know if I've talked about this yet. Uh, Chris, have you seen the show Ridiculousness? A little bit. Is that yeah. on MTV? The Rob. The, the, the Rob guy, Robin yeah, Vick. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's um, ridiculousness is this crazy show. I think they're on their 400th episode. <laughs> it's got to be cheap as dirt to make these things. They just wheel out goofy clips of people falling and they watch them and stuff. Um, but recently, MTV's ridiculousness has their own page on YouTube and they've been pulling out the best of blank. So it's either like the best of falling, the best of Rob, the best of you know. Chanel, like all these things that are like kind of like they have a, a back to school one. And that's the one I, I highlighted here. It's a 21 minute video of the best or worst of back to school ridiculousness. And it's kids back at school doing like, you know, stupid drunken college stuff or like play kids on the playground just doing a whole stuff. I love how MTV is releasing this to YouTube. I think that they've kind of cracked the code as far as. Okay, we can release this on our cable network over here for all the people that are on cable. But then also as clips come out, we can kind of compile a bunch of these clips and we'll get tons of YouTube clips or hits too. 
So I think they're double monetizing one property. And I think it's kind of genius. It's something that I think that Tosh.0 never figured out that he could, they could have been doing that the whole time. They could have mm. released the show to Comedy Central and then re- released a clip to YouTube. Now they're just coming around from to releasing that stuff. So that's my uh, recommendation for the week is ridiculousness on YouTube. Nice. Nice. I'll definitely check it out. Um, actually, for my YouTube, and something similar. Mm. Uh, ben, I know that you're a Patriots fan. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm you know, even though he's playing for the Patriots, I'm, I'm sure you still have love for Rob Gronkowski and all his antics. Always. Well, my friend, uh, he has started a YouTube channel. And it's no. called, yes, it's called The Gronks. <laughs> and it's basically him and his brother and his brothers, The Gronks, because there's four of them. Um, and it basically documents, like, them getting into different hijinks. So there's one that's called uh, The Beer Pong Challenge, where it's basically The Gronkowski Brothers uh, versus like these um, YouTube personalities and things like that, but it's it's them playing beer pong, um, and then it's like the Gronks go fishing for monsters, and so they go they go to, like deep sea fishing, uh, like I think they're fishing for like sharks and things like that. Um, it's it's ridiculous, and each episode is like 15 minutes long. Um, it's just it's it's the Gronkowskis at their finest. So if you love this stuff, you're gonna love it. If you hate the Gronkowski's, you're gonna hate it. Oh, I'm looking at the page right now. You would you would jump off a cliff if you hated the Gronk and you watched this. I mean, like one of the episodes is titled like "Can the, the Gronkowski Brothers Survive the High Wire?" And like, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'm in. Like, I'll I'll check that out. It's 12 minutes long, so uh, it's called the Gronks. Just the Gronks. That's oh, it. Oh, I found it right away. You found it right away. Um, just enjoy. I've, I've watched all of them. I subscribed. Uh, I haven't even watched the video. I subscribed. <laughs> in. I'm, I'm just in. Yeah. Here it is. One of, one of body, uh, Bobby's buddies, Lamar, who works at the casino. I, I don't know what he does there, but he had a picture with the Gronk at the Turning Stone up here. And I was so oh, jealous. That's awesome. <laughs> Cause like the whole Gronk, they live up near Buffalo, right? Or they used to. I think to. so. Yeah. They're from there. Yeah. Right. They seem like they're upstate New York boys. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all that it, it encompasses. Yes, <laughs> love it. Well, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, that's gonna do it for this week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. But Ben, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate it. Um, you can find pleasure. all these uh, podcasts on the Onstage Blog Podcast Network, onstageblog.com, uh, where we have all of our podcasts. So definitely check those out. Also, this podcast can be heard on Spotify. Um, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So definitely check us out there as well. But Ben, again, man, thank you so much. We'll see you right here next week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. And